Hey, Agility Addicts, before we drop into our episode, I wanted to take a quick second here to mention Cody's Creations, one of our fabulous sponsors. Cody's Creations, or Carrie Beck, the creator of Cody's Creations, is a local collar maker out of Massachusetts, but she is nationally recognized and nationally ships nationally. My collars that my dogs wear at Agility Trials have received lots of compliments, and I just wanted to share where I got them from. And as you know, Michelle and I, not only are we huge fans of Cody's Creations, but we don't have a lot of pennies to rub together. Cody's Creations creates custom-designed collars, leashes, and harnesses without breaking the bank. I can't tell you how amazing, amazing her products are, and I highly recommend that you go check her website out. It's C-O-D-Y-S- C-R-E-A-T-I-O-N-S dot com. That will take you right to her Etsy page. Check out her products. You can also email her and ask her for any specifics. I have over 25 products from Cody's Creations. Michelle, probably more. She has a few more dogs than me. And they're just fabulous. She does biothane. She does nylon leashes, customized leather. It's just incredible. So really check her out. Little bow ties if you've got a pregnancy announcement or just want to make your dog look cute, treat totes, you name it, she's got it. So check her out. She supports us. We want you guys to support her. And best of all, you can do so by getting 15% off by using the code STARTLINE at codyscreations.com. And now I'd like to welcome you to our next episode. Thanks so much. Are you ready? Steady. Welcome to Start Line. Every journey is different, but they all start with the Start Line. We're here to edutain you about the world of dog agility. The sport has changed rapidly in just the few years we have been a part of it. Join us as we discuss our journeys, share our successes, laughs, and failures. We will be joined by special guests, and our hope is for you to help us grow the sport we love. Episode 15. Go. Hey, it's Kara. And Michelle. And we are here to discuss goal setting or setting goals. And this has come up a lot, particularly, and I know we want to get around it, but we're in it still, the pandemic. Because the pandemic has caused so many of us to alter goals, stop goals, reconsider goals, lower goals, trash goals. And Michelle and I want to discuss that because... What goals are, are they are set criteria that we have chosen to meet to denote success. That is not out of the Webster Dictionary. I was going to say, do you need me to like look up the definition? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we should look up the definition of goals. I did blank a little bit there. But to me, in my head, it's you've set X criteria. And if you meet all of those or you get, you know, the the one big thing, such as a mock or a pock or a title, then you've attained your goals. But goals can be various sizes. So we want to discuss that. We want to discuss being realistic, recognizing when to change them, that it's okay to change them. And we also want to dive down into not just your trial goals or, or agility career goals, but A very important part to all of this is your training goals and how you establish those. So that's kind of what we're going to dive into today. And um, first, we should probably start up. Michelle, did you look that up? Did you have a chance? I did. Okay, let's go for it. Let's actually, let's have Webster tell us the real definition instead of my crappy attempt. All right, so the definition of a goal, according to my Google search is the object of a person's ambition or effort, an aim or desired result. Okay, so mine still works. It it was like a, it was like the scenic route. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, I love that. (laughs) I took the back roads. (laughs) So yes, and that's what we're going to focus on this evening. And as always, we want to hear... You know, if you guys have a story about goals or you're in a really tough spot or you're really excited or 
whatever. It, like I said, I hate to bring up COVID-19, but that has shifted a lot of things for a lot of us. So, you know, we're not going to beat a dead horse and talk about that per se, but I do want to talk about, you know, what what's realistic. And again, you can't judge. We're not here to judge. And you can't judge your journey against somebody else's. So if my goal is to get, you know, two pox in a year and your goal is to get a pock in four years, you can't judge yours against mine. Right. It's, I think. And I think, and I think it's, I mean, we kind of already touched a little bit on it, but I think it's really, really important to emphasize that goals can be changed Mm -hmm. at any point. Mm -hmm. So just because you designate a goal doesn't mean, I mean, yes, you want to obviously achieve it by a certain time frame, but they're flexible. They're arbitrarily set. Yeah. So something like, you know, the, the COVID thing happened. Obviously, like we said, some of the goals have been changed. And I think that's important. And I, I actually had to kind of learn this and kind of remind myself of this. I know when we were talking about doing this episode and we were debating between goals or stress for our last episode, I was kind of like, oh, I'm really bummed out. I don't know if I really want to talk about goals because I got a little obsessed I guess I don't know I got I got a little I had a goal in mind for for serious obviously coronavirus happened now we've kind of started to trial a little bit again and he needs six double cues and then he's going to drop down to preferred and I think I have had six chances now in the past what month three weeks four weeks of actually running to get double cues and I haven't gotten a single one. And clearly we established, I think pretty, pretty well this weekend that it's a mental problem on my end. (laughs) (laughs) Considering I'm laughing with you. I'm (laughs) laughing with you. So I was, I was a little bummed after I think running like four tries at getting a double cue. And I think I got, I didn't get a single double cue. So I was a little bummed about that, but I think it's important to, to realize that, that things can change. And they are flexible. Another scenic route. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I think, you know, and another thing that I I think we've put so much onto these goals is we've attached a time frame to them. And this time frame can be, you know, as you were discussing and mentioning, it can really cloud and, and mess with your head further. And I think time frames are tough. I, you know, before the pandemic, I was like, okay, I got Debbie's you know, POC 1 and POC 2 within six months. I think it was seven months. Uh, I'm going to get the next one in five months. I did that. And then I was like, I'm going to get the next one in four months. Well, the pandemic happened. I technically did, but I lost three months in trialing. So I, re- I decided, I was like, who cares? Stop. Stop. That puts all this pressure on. So now I go out there. I don't even track her double cues anymore. I know some of you are like, are you kidding me? I'm dying for double cues. Again, don't compare journeys. Debbie's perfect. <laughs> I just, I don't, I think I'm having so much success mentally because I'm not thinking about her double cues. Are they still part of my goal? Absolutely. I would like to continue to have Debbie be the top pocking boxer and I want to set that bar high. I'm going to run as long as she enjoys it. And so I'm always going to enter the regular classes, but I'm stopping putting a time frame on it because it yeah. doesn't, it doesn't help me. And the other thing we have to think about is, okay, Forget time frame. That's part of the puzzle. But are your goals actually achievable? For example, I would say this is an unachievable goal because of time-space continuum. I don't have the money to do it. Walter is not an agility grand championship dog. Could he be? Absolutely. But it would take unbelievable amounts of training unbelievable amounts of money which we'll talk about in a minute and I just don't feel like it is realistically within my constraints and abilities achievable right and I think we have to really step back and this is where I rely on my community I've had some people say oh enter him in premiere you have no idea how we do blah 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 but here's the deal Walter's not Debbie and while he enjoys agility he's not like Debbie and I are just different. We're we're an agility team. Walter's this kid that he did it because mom liked it and it's fun and he's not serious about it. And I wasn't serious about my training with him. 
And I don't want to. I don't have the energy to get serious about my training with him. I really want to get his mock and be done and allow him to, you know, I'll probably get his TQX and allow him to pop out every now and again for a day that has fast and probably not get the double Q and vice versa. Get the fast, they get the double Q and not the fast because that seems to be our MO. But I just, you know, I, I want to, I want you guys to step back and say, you know, some of you might be going in and say, oh, Kara, forget a mock. I just want a Q in, in, in uh, novice, in novice standard. You might have a seesaw problem. So again, maybe your goal should be, I just want my dog to do a seesaw in competition. Make sure that they're achievable because if you make them too big, too grandiose, you set yourself up for failure and your dog. And so I think it's important that we focus on that. You know? Yeah, I agree. I think they definitely need to be achievable. And then you're also setting yourself up for frustration and disappointment if they're not achievable or if you can't recognize that the goal you set is achievable. So if you set a goal and you need to change them, you need to know how to recognize when to change them. So for example, let's just say you set a goal of getting, I mean, this is, all right, let's just put me and Riley. I'm going to set a goal of getting a perfect weekend. Spoiler alert, never going to happen. I don't ever think. Um, but we've been trialing for a long time and that's, that's just, we're just not that team. We're just not a consistent team. So me trying to set a goal like that is just going to, one, make me a little flustered every time because then I'm going to keep thinking about that. And I'm not going to have any success. And then I'm going to start getting frustrated. She's going to start getting stressed out. So you need to realize when to change them and when you set a goal that wasn't quite as realistic as you thought. That's a really good point because these two episodes are linked Goals can absolutely cause stress. Let's talk about the elephant of the room. The goal of getting a cue is the ultimate stressor upon us and our dogs. Yep. The difference between a trial and a run through is you have a cue on the line. Sometimes we it's know a it. double. Yeah, we know it. Sometimes it's a double cue. Sometimes, but it counts. And the fact that it counts as a goal adds that stress. Yep. And that's insane. That's insane. I mean, I'm just going to go out there and say that the whole double Q thing is fully agree, but that's a whole nother rabbit hole. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, (laughs) maybe, maybe we're setting ourselves up for our next episodes where we discuss the different organizations and how to obtain, obtain their championships. Yeah. I think actually that's, I think that's a great idea because they're all so different and they all just, they just work really well. So I think that's a great idea. All right. Well, we'll put that down in the notes for next time. Yeah. But until Because we don't talk enough about the other organizations anyway, so it'll we be good. Don't. We'll both learn some learn a lot, I think. Oh, actually. yes, we will. Yes, we will. And you'll certainly, because we're not short on sharing them, we'll get to hear our opinions. That's right. 36-inch <laughs> contacts. What? <laughs> <laughs> That's for USDAA. AKC has 42, if anybody's. 42 inches, which is extremely hard for my dogs to hit. Those six inches make a difference. They do, and apparently they are not in my dog's natural stride. I will tell you that. My square-bodied boxers seem to stride just over that 42 inches. I think we need like 44 inch, maybe 45. But Why not just make it 48? Oh, just the whole plank! <laughs> as long as they touch the descent just, plank. It should just be yellow, all of it. It's all yellow. Make the whole dog walk yellow. Done. That's a goal of mine. <laughs> In all seriousness, another thing. So we've got timeframes, achievability, if that's even a word. And then here's the big one. And this is a huge one. Huge. Huge money. Which is tied to work-life balance, which we'll get to in a minute. But money, which is directly tied to work. For some of us. Some people are retired. And I literally had somebody say to me, wait until you retire and you can run agility all the time. And I like bright, shiny bulb went off in my head. And I was like, how do I get retired? That just (laughs) sounded amazing. (laughs) I mean, oh my God, retired. I get to play agility every time and anytime I want, please. That's my dream. That's my goal. Ah. Yeah, that's my goal. That is definitely my goal. (laughs) So, but money's an issue and I've, I've become much more aware of it with my dog walking business being down during the pandemic and, you know, trials. I saved money, no doubt. So, but then you, you quickly blow through the money you saved 
It was also allocated for different things because income is down. Thankfully, expenses were down, including agility. But there's only oh so much. I mean, I'll be honest. I think I spent about fourteen to fifteen thousand dollars in a year running agility. That's that's an inexpensive. Is that just trials, or does that include classes? That's just trials. Wow, that's an inexpensive car. I could yeah. buy I could buy a car, and then I get wrapped around it. I was like, oh, I worked so hard for that money, and then I say to myself, I worked so hard so I could play that hard. Yep. So I don't have an issue with that number. And I warn you, if you don't want to throw up, don't add up your entries. They are a hobby. You don't go to a bar and then add up every time all the bills every single time. If you do, then just don't go to bars. Well, you shouldn't go to bars now. That's a whole other discussion. But I just think if you've decided that agility is a hobby, which it is. It's a sport, yes, of course, but... We're not paid to do it unless you're one of those lucky, unbelievable creatures that gets paid to do agility. Um, I think for most of us, money is a, like I like to say from my chemistry days, a limiting reagent. It limits what we can do and when we can do it. And I'll I'll not lie. One of the reasons I really want to get and start closing up some of Debbie's classes for this agility grand championship is to save money. Yeah. I enjoyed not having to walk, to run um, Premier Jumpers this weekend. And I was able to work that class. Any position, I scrimed for that class. And it was wonderful. So, you know, I'm looking forward to getting Walter's mock so I can budget better. Instead of having to, you know, work as hard and make sure that I get X amount of private trains in a week. And my consulting job and that our dog walking meets its quota and blah, blah, blah. Right. You know? And if Yeah. You... Well, yeah, no, it's just, you know... Definitely money is a huge factor and kind of like you were saying before when people have said to you, why not enter Walter and Premier Standard or do this? And it's like, well, that's an extra, you know, what, 15 to $25, depending on the club that you essentially didn't need to spend because you don't have a goal with him that involves that class. So you definitely have to factor in the money. You have to factor in how often you have the ability to trial to get your goals and set those. I mean, that's like, like Riley is the same, similar to Walter. I, I don't have a goal of achieving an agility grand championship with her. I didn't pursue anything further than a time to beat title or the master's fast title with her because I didn't have the goal to go any further. I just wanted that title and that was it. That was my goal, is the title. So therefore, I'm going to save money because now I don't have to enter her in time to be in fast and premiere and everything else. She just does regular. So money is a huge, huge factor. Yeah, and then if you are spending more money, then you have to bring in more money. So that dips into your work-life balance. And I struggled with that a lot last year. And I have to, this is the one time, well, I've done it a few times, that I'm going to thank the pandemic because it put a forced stop on everything agility and extracurricular. I really took a hard look at what I was doing and how hard I was working to meet those agility goals. And I said, how can I make the same amount and work less? And I shifted around some extra jobs that I had And I focused on, you know, last summer I went and got certified as a professional dog trainer. And I hadn't really been using that. I had maybe one or two trains a month. And it was more word of mouth, really, you know, half-assed advertising. I'd put out something every now and again. I told my clients. And then all of a sudden, during the pandemic, I got really serious about advertising my training because I needed to make up for lost income from the dog walking. And it's now exploded. It's exploded. Awesome. It is awesome, but now again, I'm fighting that work-life balance because I schedule these trains outside of my contracting job. So, you know, I went to one tonight at five o'clock and, you know, it's getting crazy again, but I started trialing a lot more and I'm spending more money. So I'm working more. And then I was also traveling for trials, which I've now, I'm doing one more travel in July and I'm done. It's exhausting. I've loved where I've gone. I cherish those moments. I will travel again, but not at that frequency. Yeah, there's a lot of traveling. Yeah, I went Ohio, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania within the span of three weeks. Yeah. Yeah, and I think um, 
another thing too to consider with like work life balance there we have people that we know that work <laughs> that work every Saturday or Sunday. So for mm-hmm. me, for example, I work Sunday through Thursday, so I have off on Friday and Saturday. Luckily, we seem to have a fair amount of trials that happen on Friday, so I still get two days of trialing in on Friday and Saturday's most part. But there are people that also work every Saturday or every Sunday, so they can only trial one day a week. Or, again, for me, because we in our area don't offer a whole lot of classes at our trials. I'm just going to throw that out there. There are no, a lot of places. <laughs> there are a lot of places in the country that that show what all six classes mm-hmm. every day. We're lucky if we get 3 or 4 a day. Mm-hmm. Um and so for another example, time to beat tends to be on Sundays because it's a faster running class, so I get it. But I work Sunday through Thursday. I would like to get my Agility Grand Championship. So I know that I am going to be lacking in time to beat cues because I don't get to run time to beat very often. So that is a factor in my goal. And that may end up meaning that I have to travel at some point to find time to beat cues or take some time off from work. But... I did this. I worked Sunday through Thursday. It was my choice to work Sunday through Thursday because it ended up giving me a little bit more money to spend on my hobby. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like a little bit of a balancing act there. But, you know, that is something that you have to consider as well. You can't set a goal if your work or your life situation just isn't going to allow it. Yeah. Yep. yep, yep. Yeah. And then, okay, so you got this, you're working really hard to make this extra money. But then what if something like, the pandemic comes along and takes your achievable, realistic, affordable work-life balanced goal and trashes it. For example, our friend Melissa runs an amazing Irish setter named Tempo. She was trying to get his mock before he turned three and by a certain date, which would have made him the youngest mocking Irish setter in the United States. Well, ever in AKC. And she missed it by, I believe, 26 days. Through no fault of her own. Time just wasn't on her side. That was the pandemic that put her under. I think she needed it by May something. The end of May is when she needed to get it. And she had plenty of trials. She, you know, we left at 14. We left in March. She was at, um, sorry, 16. She had 16 double Qs. She only needed four more double Qs, which she could get those no problem. So that was sad. So... What did she do? Okay, backup goals. Get his mock. Let's just back chain that one drop. And instead of get his mock by X date, it was just get his mock. So she went all out and she did a lot of the travel with me and she did the four days and the five days and we went and she got her his mock and she achieved her goal. So is it still upsetting that she wasn't the youngest? Of course. But she still got it. Yep. So And it's not like it's a it's not a bad backup plan. No, no. And I think also, you know, it's okay. Having backup plans and being able to readjust also leads to being able to recognize when you need to change them. And again, we just discussed the pandemic has caused a lot of us to have to change a lot of things. And so, you know, what Melissa did was she couldn't achieve them. So she set a lower criteria to be successful. I can't be the youngest mocking Irish setter this year, but I can still get my mock. Right. This year. And she did. Yeah. And I think, you know, setting that lower criteria, I think is, is super important again for stress and for mindset and for the team overall to be successful. So I think, you know, if this kind of ties back also into our record keeping Mm -hmm. and how to keep track of your cues or even end cues, if you look at, you know, at the end of your weekend or the end of your day trialing, look at your overall performance Find out where your gaps were. Look at, you know, the past month even, you know, how many cues out of how many runs did you end up with? And you can use that information to figure out, is this goal achievable? What do I need to change? Do I need to make any adjustments? So looking at those records is also a good way to help figure out what to do with your goals. 
Yes, that helped me calculate how long it's going to take me to get Debbie's Agility Grand Championship. And prior to the pandemic, at the pace and cue rate, I'm at a whopping around 50% cue rate for fast. I figured out that, you know, it would take me a year and a half, a year to a year and a half to get her Agility Grand Championship. Well, now with the pandemic, how many fast classes did I lose over those three months? So that's why I traveled. It was to keep my goal time frame attainable by playing makeup. I had to play catch up. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's lots of ways to, to recognize how to change your goal. If you need to change it, make those adjustments as necessary. Um, I think we covered a decent amount in terms of trialing and setting goals for trials. So maybe let's talk about some training goals. Well, they're related because in order to obtain your trial goals, you have to have hit training goals to a degree. Yes. So I highly recommend everybody listen to Bad Dog Agility, their podcast. I don't have the episode number. I will double check it. But Esteban discusses something about contagion and how if you have a problem, a systematic problem in your training and it causes an issue in the trial ring, how contagious is it? So... Does your, your, I would consider a start line very contagious, meaning if you don't have a start line that can affect the entire rest of your run, how you set your angles, how you you know figure out how to get off the line, all of that stuff, very contagious. But if you have, you know, a contact issue, that's and it's just on one obstacle, that's not very contagious. That's very limited to where your dog is on that course. It can only have it's contact issue on say, you know, the dog walk or the A-frame or the seesaw. So for example, not contagious at all for jumpers. And does does the missed contact cause any further harm to the run? No. If you miss the contact, you get an NQ. It's right. it, it's very crystal clear. It doesn't yeah, on all levels. On all levels. It doesn't spread. It's not contagious. Um, but it's problematic. So he said something that really hit home with me because we all know I struggle with my contacts. Mm-hmm. And I've tried a lot of stuff. Have I fully dedicated myself and restarted and, and done the whole board work and everything? No. Nope. Nope. And I asked myself, why, if I care so much about cueing, and I know that dog walk contacts are part of my issue, why am I not caring more to fix this? And Esteban said something very important, and he said, the dog's life is very short. Your trial and co- your trial career or your agility career is even shorter. How many cues do you miss? And this is where studying your NQ rate versus your Q rate. How many cues do you miss because of that problem, i.e. the dog walk contact, versus how many do you get? So if your Q rate isn't that bad, then is it really worth taking the time to dedicate to training that specific one thing? Right. You know, if you have a bar dropper, you have a chronic bar dropper, you can't cue in anything, you always drop one bar, then I would believe it's time to do some jump grids or really investigate why your dog's dropping the bar, maybe drop them down to preferred, whatever. But, you know, a contact issue where many times my dogs do actually get in there, not always, but many times they do, it's just not crystal clear, particularly with trial high and trial stress, as to their job when they come to the bottom of the contact. Eh. I don't really. Eh. Like, right. I can't I can't laterally pull off the dog walk. I don't have a stop contact. So those of you with a great stop contact, your dog runs down, puts two feet on the floor, two feet on the contact. And you say, wait. And you go get yourself in position on the landing side of a jump to do a front. And then you go, okay. And you release your dog. Great. That's a skill. How often, think about all the times you've run a trial, how often is there a pull off a dog walk? I'm being pretty generous here. I'd say maybe a quarter of the time. It's probably even less than that. I saw it once this weekend. So, yep, one out of four. I saw it twice. You did? Well, there was that tunnel discrimination and then there was... But the tunnel discrimination, you didn't have to pull. You just had to get on the right... You. I'm talking well, like... A lateral, a lateral pull. A lateral pull, yeah. 
like a direct like I'm seeing it more though. I agree. I agree. But I would I would say let's just say a quarter quarter of the time. I think that's a pretty fair number. Yeah. I would say it's I would say it's on the side of increasing. Yes. But I don't think it's, you know, most of the time it's I, I would say the tunnel discrimination at the end happens more than the lateral pull. Yes. Where they want they want the dog to take the hole that they're not staring at as they're running down or see it at the top. Right. That yes. I see a lot more than yes. I do, I think, a pull. And that I've mastered thanks to invitationals. <laughs> I blind at the bottom. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's just really important to figure out in your training program, Are does it make sense to focus on that one thing? Right. That's, that's kind of like, you know, let's just say backside of jumps. You know, they, they happen every once in a while in regular masters, standard or jumpers, but they don't happen very often at all in that level, but they happen a lot in premiere. So if you don't plan on running premiere, do you really need to spend that much time on perfecting or, or coming up with an independent backside when chances are that you're going to see it so infrequently in the master standard or jumpers class that you can probably manage it that one time that you do see it. You know, I think that's another good example of how to focus. So maybe instead of focusing on a backside, yeah, it's a, it's a tool that you should have and a skill that you should know how to handle, but maybe not to the point of independence, you know, so maybe focus on something else like is uh, wraps. That's a great <laughs> example. Actually. I was just about to bring that up. Good you old know, fashioned effing wraps. Yep. Wraps happen so frequently in courses judges that... <laughs> wraps can take a hike they're old school we're sick of it stop wraps and it. pinwheels i'll take a pinwheel over a wrap yeah that's stop true stop the wraps i'm gonna start a new Kara has a negative association with wraps i have a traumatic association <laughs> with wraps a lot of back jumps I cause with Debbie and so, so all right so there maybe maybe your your focus would be more yes. so in your case would be more so on wraps than it would I be agree. on your contact. I agree. I agree. I have lost more runs to bad wraps than bad contacts. Yeah. Or if I have I've cared more about the bad wraps than the contacts and I'll tell you why. Particularly this weekend it was very traumatic. I had made it to 19 and a half twice with Walter, meaning I got our standard run. It was first. And this is for his mock. You need a 20 double Qs. We're on 19. I got that standard run, which is our hardest. But the boy stayed with me. He did his job. Then jumpers comes along, and it's a wrap. And I bend over and pressure him to turn the wrong way. And then I stand there like a deer in headlights. And instead of saving it by pushing hard, just get him away from the jump. I literally basically call him over the jump and I would laugh and say, oh, geez, that's Walter and I and just our lack of training. But the amount of times I did that with Debbie, yeah. it's embarrassing that I still have that problem. So, yeah, guess what I'm going to be asking for in class this week? Raps. 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 So, anyways, yeah, I, I think, you know, don't want to beat that dead horse, but the point is your training goals should be based off of now if you've not trialed your training goals should be based off of what you feel least confident about what you feel your dog knows the least and you should focus on that if you have the the feedback from a trial and you know where your weak spots are contacts and wraps for example then you focus on that but you need to be organized use your goals to organize yourself and lay out your weekly and monthly goals and what your intended achievements are and that will help you be successful in your training which then will carry over to your training your trialing yeah you know i actually saw it may i think it was emma that take that well before the pandemic we actually had paper copies of our maps mm -hmm. but she would actually have her map of her run and after the run if she enqueued or had a had a bobble or any sort of issue she would actually circle it on the map and explain what happened. So, for example, if there was a wrap and she caused a back jump, she would circle that obstacle and say, like, you know, back jump at the wrap. And she would refer back to that later in training and kind of, so if you hang on to all your maps and you look back and you're like, okay, on this setup, I had this issue. 
And that's also really good information for when you go back into your training and what kind of goals to set. So like for you, you know, we had a lot of wraps this weekend. You struggle with wraps. You're going to focus on wraps. You know, for me, like you were saying with what's that one skill that you think you're lacking the most in and that for me in serious is the close command or come into my side and do a throttle or something similar to that or come in and close to me, take the closer end of the tunnel to me. So that has been our focus lately is the close and then the throttle. That's also another good idea on how to keep track of what happens in trial and how to translate that to your training goals so you can improve for the trials. So that's something that people might consider that I thought was a really good idea. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And then uh, let's see, having a goal for your training before you start. So now let's talk about we're actually going into our training session. So we've set our, our monthly, weekly goals on what we want to achieve. We have established what skill we want to work on. You're going to go into this individual session now and you want to have in your head an idea of what you want that session to look like, what kind of things you want to work on. So let's just say you have two jumps. Make sure that you're setting those jumps up appropriately before you involve your dog and have everything kind of set up in a perfect world in your head before you involve the dog. And why is this so important? I think this this kind of almost translates to stress. You want to make mm-hmm. sure that your training session goes successfully for you and the dog. And if you know what you want to work on before the dog gets involved, you're going to come across as a little bit more confident. You're going to get through that training session much quicker and your dog is going to have a better attitude about it. I have to admit, I suck at this. Uh, for a couple reasons. So I don't have an agility field. So I rely on what's generally set up whenever I rent something. And so I try and get to the place and look at the layout or tweak as much as I can. Because sometimes you can't. They have a set course for class and you're allowed to move bars and occasional things, but you can't really work on what you want. Um, one of my frustrating things was when contacts were a big deal for me, I would rent places near me. And I'd show up and the dog walk wouldn't be out. That's disappointing. Yeah. And I'm like, you're not getting my money. Like I show up, I want the equipment out or at least accessible. So I had to change my goals. You know, I'd be like, okay, dog walk contact. Show up. There's no dog walk. Well, if you drove all that way, you're going to spend your money. So come up with a different goal. I'm terrible about setting a goal in training and sticking to it on that particular day. And that has made my dog suffer. So I'll go in, I'll spend money, I'll rent a ring and I'll just fuss about and my dog's like what are we doing this is awkward I can tell you had no idea what you were doing you're making me more stressed this wasn't fun I've accomplished nothing yeah. so it's, it's really important to set training goals prior to going into your training session and really plan to stick to it and have a couple but really try and focus on you know one or two and then have a backup right so if it was the dog walk okay it's not there so smart Kara now would say, well, all I need is one jump and I'll do a wrap. Yeah. Can't work on my contacts. I'll work on my wraps. <laughs> yes. Yes. So I, that's just super important is to know, have a plan and stick to it. And if you can't stop, right. go walk the dog. Don't, don't get frustrated and try and go through it. Or if you're, you're struggling and you've tried the same jump sequence six different times, your dog still isn't getting it. Stop. Go throw them over the seesaw or over a tunnel. Something that you know that they can do and be successful. Yeah, just do something easy and then end the session in as positive as a note as you can. Mm-hmm. Because it's not, you're not going to get anywhere when when you're both in that mindset, you and the dog. Nope. If they're starting to get a little icky feelings about what's happening, you're not entirely sure what's going on. You're not entirely sure where this is going. I mean, and, and I've done the same thing. And the reason I, you know, we, we mentioned this is because we have both done it many times. When I first got my agility field, I was like, yay, agility field. And then I would go out there and I'm like, now what? Look at all my pretty equipment. Now what? And I had a really hard time at first and I've gotten a little bit better, but I still find myself doing that. I still, you know, I'll go out and I'll say, okay, I'm going to work my dog walk contact with Sirius. And then I bring Snitch in there who is not on a full height dog walk yet. And I'm like, okay, I didn't have a plan for snitch. What do we do? And I would just do like, you know, something 
I she's getting really good at like you know backsides on the on the flat with no bar up, and I'll just say okay, let's just do a couple of these and keep her happy. But then I've also caught myself where I'm like okay, do a tunnel and two jumps, and she's like okay, great. Now what? And I'm like oh no, now I need to find out something. And then while I'm thinking about it, I'm wandering around trying to figure out what to do. I can see she's kind of disconnecting. So I it do just that so much. yeah, it happens to the best of us. But you know the the most we can do is just. Talk about it, acknowledge it, make notes for next time. Okay, this time, you know, I didn't have a plan. Next time I got to have a plan. Think about it, refer back to the goals that you have written down or typed up, you know, and try and figure out how you want to set up that session for the next time. Um, And then also on that note, when it comes to actually doing the session, so you have your goal. Now you're actually in your training session. Now we're talking about ending the session before it carries on too long. Mm-hmm. So try to keep your sessions short. You know, some dogs can handle longer sessions than others. And it really is dog dependent. So you really need to kind of look at some of those uh, behaviors. So some of the things that we talked about in the last episode about stress, things like displacement behavior, where they're actually leaving the session or they're going off to sniff or they're scratching or they're stress yawning, you know, all of those. If you start seeing those behaviors, that's not good. You want to try and resi- like revive that situation. That's when you go... Let's do something easy. Let's do something we know you can do no problem. Throw a ball, you know, toss a lotus ball, tug, whatever it is that motivates your dog. Do that and don't worry about about continuing on for the session for too long. And, I, and I'm, I'm really bad at this, actually. I have a, a really hard time sometimes catching on. And I'm, I'm a big offender of, but one more repetition. That looked really good. Let me do that one more time. See, that's, that's what I'll give myself that credit. I'm pretty good about that. And I'm also, so think about it. The, an hour long class is really arbitrary to a dog. No, many few dogs cannot handle training solid for an hour. We go to an hour long class because that makes humans feel good for paying for an hour. But if you add up, most of us get three minutes to, if we're lucky, three times in the ring. Right. So you're six or 12 minutes. Is really all you've got. So I generally train my dogs for no more than 15 minutes because that's about where they start to, when I see them kind of wander and sniff or particularly slow down, I see it in my regular classes. By the third run, my dogs are like, ho-hum. I'm like, yep, yep, you're done. You're toast. So, you know, it's really important to know when to end things, particularly before they go south because then if you can't end it, it goes poorly and then they're too tired to recover then you've, you're panicking to try and find them something successful so that you're ending on a good note. And it's just it just gets messy and sloppy, and then you don't want to have negative connotations or associations. So less time is better. Yep. And speaking. Yeah, and yeah, speaking from uh, experience, and when, uh, when you start to think, oh, I want to do that one more, that last repetition looked good, don't. Just don't. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think this is a good transition onto latent learning. Well, yes, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say stop and take a break. Hey, Agility Addicts. I have a really cool sponsor to tell you guys about that I actually went after. Walter recently got his mock, well, I know, surprising, and I wanted to celebrate it with his fan club. And so I wanted to bring something special. And we all know mock cakes are kind of off the table right now. They're not very COVID friendly. So I wanted something such as cookies, which could be individually wrapped. I checked with a bunch of local bakeries. They were booked way out. It wasn't, an, you know, or they were prices that I was found a little pricey. So I looked online and even though they're local to me, I found a really cool company called Wicked Good Cookies. Now in New England, wicked means very or super. And they live up to their name. They have $5 flat rate shipping nationwide. So whether you live in Tacoma, Washington, or Sarasota Springs, Florida, you can get these cookies for five bucks. If you live locally or you're at a trial I'm going to, I'm happy to pick them up for you. They'll give you some extra cookies. But they've also done us a deal because I explained to him all about you know, agility and how we celebrate and mock cakes and how we need cookies instead and COVID safe. And for 15% off using the discount code STARTLINE, Wicked Good Cookies is honoring our discount, which is super cool. So please go check out wickedgoodcookies.com. You can also get them if you're local to New England, 
through DoorDash, Grubhub. They're just in Boylston, Mass. 15% off your order. They can put anything you want on picture-wise. These are great for kids going back to school. It's also wonderful for weddings, birthdays. You can't be there. You can send a box of cookies. But more specific to agility for your championships or even just a great title or just, hey, let's make agility fun again. Check out Wicked Good Cookies and use a discount code STARTLINE to save 15% today. And I have to say, latent learning, while I'm so impatient, so by latent learning, we mean stopping all training, not reinforcing it, giving it some time to settle, and then re-cueing or asking the dog for the same behavior, and they be able, they're able to recall the behavior immediately and almost as precisely, if not more, than when you last let off. And that's, latent learning is beautiful, and I've experienced it. I should do it more. Uh, I did it during the pandemic when I was not in the right mindset and I couldn't train my dogs in agility mentally. Did my dogs forget a thing? Nope. Nope. And I constantly am complimenting latent learning on that. So can they forget and get rusty? Absolutely. Particularly us when we're not doing the particular motions and getting our timing right. But I think latent learning for dogs is wonderful. Take a break, two weeks, a month, who knows, and just... Stop trying to exhaust that skill. Yeah. Try again in a month or two and see what was retained through late, you know, latent learning will show you what they picked up back then. Yeah. I've, I've seen this with trick training too, where I'll do, I've been really, really heavily involved in trick training lately through the pandemic and stuff. And on, you know, particularly hot days and whatnot. So we've been doing a lot of trick training together. And there are tricks that, you know, I taught them a month ago that I was like, okay, they're pretty good on it. Let's start working on something else. And I kind of forget about that other behavior. And then I go and I'm filming, you know, to try and get some trick titles. And I do that behavior and they're like, oh, hey, here. And they offer that behavior with more enthusiasm and more accuracy than they did when I last left off that session with them. So latent learning does absolutely happen. And I think, I think it's good to think about that when you're coming to the end of a session and you're, you kind of get into that mindset of mine where I like to go, Oh, just one more, just one more. Think about the latent learning, mm-hmm. you know, end on that good one, let it kind of settle in a little bit and then reapproach it later and see what happens. Very important. I think kind of the last thing to wrap up, is you know setting goals and expectations for your time training now i will admit i set goals to train my dogs more often than i actually do train my dogs me too but they're not daily goals i set a two to three times so i have class and i have class twice a week so i know two days are covered so if i can realistically do two more days and it's not agility training i will do two more days of either full-on exercise where I'll um, put them on a treadmill or take them for a hike, depending on the weather, and or I'll also do fitness equipment, and or I'll also do trick training. I usually do one, I usually do two of the three. I'll do trick training and fitness, or I'll do fitness and um, running, exercise, you know, cardio, cardio and then uh, strength training. So... Do I often hit those two days? No. Nope, nope, nope. I always mean to. I do once a week. I'm very good about once a week at least. This is on top of the, sorry, two days of agility class, another day of nosework class. So I'm pretty good about that. But, you know, you don't have to train daily, especially if you don't want to. I don't think you need to. Right. I think, yeah, I think it's super important to really emphasize that, you know, there are days where I go to work and I come home and during the day I'm like, I have all these goals I'm going to do with the dogs today. And then I just have a particularly exhausting day from work. And then I'm like, oh, but I said I was going to do this with them. But you can tell you just you just really don't feel like it. You're just not feeling it after mm-hmm. such and such event. It's OK. That was hard for me at first. It was hard for me to accept because I was like, no, I have to get this done. But then I also realized that when I tried to do it, I wasn't in a good mindset. Therefore, the dog wasn't enjoying it. 
And I'm like, okay, this is getting me nowhere except for maybe more frustrated. You don't have to. If you don't feel like it, if something happens and, you know, it's, it can wait until the next day, the next time, whenever. Don't stress about having to train them every day or, you know, whatever. You don't have to do it. They, they will... They will happily be there for the next session, ready to go when you're in a better mindset for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Mindset is what matters most because it travels down the leash. And even when there's not a leash, it travels through that ring and it travels right to your dog. And I watched it this weekend. I got Maki, which is funky, but I'm about to get a big title because I had set that goal and I was so hell-bent on getting that goal on that day, that matching ribbon, and his people were there, and all that stuff, that because my mindset was a mess, my run was just as messy. It's a little stressy. It is stressy. So remember, goals are good to have, but they also are, in a way, an enemy. They are, they can be an impediment, impediment, however you want to say that, impediment, to obtaining your true aspirations and abilities with your training partner goals can muddy the water yep so have them be careful with them make sure that they're flexible be ready to lower them so that you stay in the right mindset and that you and your relationship with your dog stay successful couldn't have said it better myself (laughs) well i think i think it's good we stayed a little bit under an hour this time not the average 22 minutes that the average listener listens to, but um, for those of you that hang in till the end, it's just because we're really passionate about what we have to say, and we're here to help you guys set goals, set better lines, set better expectations, whatever helps you be a better handler and team for your dog, and you're good. So I hope you can't hear the elephant stomping upstairs, by the way. I can. Elephant, i.e. Michelle's husband, Dale. I almost said Michelle's wife. (laughs) (laughs) Which is cool, but Dale's just not a lady. Not at all. All right. right. That's a great note to end on, I think. I would agree. (laughs) All right. So let us know if you guys have any questions or comments. Let us know about your goals and if Mm -hmm. you've had to change any of your goals, how the pandemic has affected it, anything in terms of goals, let us know. Um, you know, we like to hear your thoughts. And, yeah, and if uh, you want help goal setting too, we're happy to do that. Yeah, or need like, you know, the spreadsheets, any of that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. we're here to help you guys. So on that note, we'll see you next time. Take care. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Startline Podcast is produced by Kara and Michelle. Rate, review, and subscribe on the podcast app of your choice. Don't forget to also check out our sponsors, Cody's Creations and Anchor. And if you want to continue the conversation, you can always reach us at startlinepod at gmail.com or on our Facebook at Startline Podcast. Thanks guys.